Hello and welcome to the Boss Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to revisiting boss talks from the past 14 years of boss comps and sharing them every week with you, our wonderful listeners. I am Kirk Bailey and this week on the Boss Podcast, Heidi Rosen gives us 10 lessons she learned about venture capital. Business of Software podcast, sharing sessions from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org. Heidi Rosen is a Silicon Valley executive, venture capitalist and entrepreneur. In September 2012, she was elected to the board of DMGT, the London-based global media and information company. At the time she was elected, she became the first female director in the company's 116-year history. In 2010, she was named a lecturer and entrepreneurship educator at Stanford University, where she teaches the course Spirit of Entrepreneurship. Heidi was awarded the 2018 Financial Woman of the Year by Financial Women of San Francisco. She is known for speaking out against the harassment of women in technology, having experienced it firsthand. In this boss talk, she discusses why are VCs so difficult to understand. Heidi will tell you why VCs behave the way they do and what you should do to maximise your chance of success with a venture capitalist. Happy listening. I suspect a few of you are probably either uh, in companies that have venture backing or you might be thinking about getting venture backing. I think hopefully you'll find this you'll find this interesting. So. Um, currently, um, I'm, I'm on the board of two companies. I'm on the board of TiVo, which I suspect a few of you have uh, used. And uh, that's an interesting company because it is a company whose brand is huge relative to its size. It's probably the smallest company sitting at the epicenter of the intersection of all sorts of interesting things. And it is a company this year that will probably make more money defending its IP than it makes in revenues. So kind of a fascinating company. It is also an acquirer of small startups, so there's a good reason for me to be here. The other company I'm on board is uh, Yellow Pages of Canada. And you might scratch your head at that one, and frankly, so did I when the recruiter called me. And then I looked into their numbers. Uh, last year, they did 1.6 billion in revenue, 900 million in EBITDA, 700 million in free cash flow, and 250 million of those revenues were from their internet properties. So uh, Yellow Pages is actually a pretty darn interesting company, and uh, I'm learning a lot from uh, participating with that company. More importantly, when it comes to being an entrepreneur and, and understanding venture and other forms of investment capital, I have seen that from all sides. When my brother and I started a software company in 1982, we went out to raise venture and were unsuccessful. So we uh, made money the old-fashioned way. We earned it from customers and bootstrapped the company, built it up. In 1989, I realized that we were just not on a trajectory that, that was uh, sufficient to get to where I wanted to go. And it was funny watching the slides and, and seeing Mitch Kapler up there because Lotus was started like a year after we were started. And they got a little bigger than we did. Uh, Microsoft was started about the same time, a little before. And they got a little bigger than we did. Of course, there were these other companies you probably don't remember, like Ovation, Context MBA, and well, they went away, so I feel better than those guys, but frankly, in about 1989, I thought, you know, there might be something about these venture investors, and maybe they could help me. So we did raise our first round from Helmer Winblad Venture Partners. We were their very first investment, which was interesting. We raised our second round from Draper Fisher, 
and uh, then we sold the company. So then I went from being a person who had venture capital and raised two rounds to a person who was working for a corporation. I then went to Apple where I was VP of Worldwide Developer Relations. So I was supposed to be getting venture capitalists to invest on our platform. After I left Apple, I was an independent director sitting in between venture capitalists and their entrepreneurs. And then I, in fact, joined the dark side and became a venture capitalist myself for eight years. So I've looked at venture from every which way. I'm not always a fan. And one of the things I thought about in thinking about coming here is there's a lot I know about venture capital from being a venture capitalist that I wish I had known as an entrepreneur. And so I've got 10 things. I'm going to try to cover them pretty rapidly. And then I would be very happy to answer questions, have a dialogue about any of the other stuff, you know, TiVo or Yellow Pages or whatever you want to talk about. So without further ado, let me hopefully get the, OK. What did I do wrong? It's a hardware issue. Let me look at it here. Let's try this again. There we go. Okay, the first thing you really need to understand is venture capital is a hits business. Make no mistake about that. When you're an entrepreneur, it, the company is your baby, you're doing everything you can to make it successful. Your venture capitalist doesn't necessarily feel that way about your company because your venture capitalist is by nature a portfolio manager. The thing that I think will drive this home for you is some data about venture capital and venture capital returns. A couple years ago, I was on the board of the National Venture Capital Association and was in charge of running our annual conference. And I said, you know, I think it'd be really interesting to take the data about venture returns and consolidate it over a very long period of time, 20 years, let's say, and compare it to other asset classes and see kind of how it works. Why, why is it a good or bad business to be in? So I got the two, two of the very largest limited partnerships who control between them something like 20, oh God, I don't even remember how much, it's 20 billion at any given time. And we looked at 20 years of data and I think there were 12,000 underlying portfolio companies. And let me tell you what we learned. First of all, cash on cash return was about 4x, which means for every dollar you put in over time, you got $4 out. But let's remember, over time is the key word. In the dot-com boom, people got in and out of venture funds relatively quickly. But most of the time, it takes anywhere from 10 to 18 years for a venture fund to run its full cycle. So obviously, a 4x cash on cash return is really good if the time cycle is quick. If the time cycle is slow, that isn't necessarily a very good deal. Now, it gets messy. Let's talk about the actual data. So there was about 100 billion in returns represented in this pool. And I think there were, let me see, how many companies were there? 1,650 companies in this data set. If you took the top 50 deals off the table, which is only 3% of the deals in the whole base, the return drops to 1.8x. More than half the deals never return capital. Please remember that. More than half the deals never return capital. Your money's tied up for 8 to 12 years, usually. And the implication of all of this, right, is, is you're not even going to outperform the S&P if you take just those few percentage of the deals off the top. So lesson number one is, your venture capitalist, a venture capitalist is looking for a hit. 
They want to have you walk in the door and if they can't convince themselves that they're going to make 10 times their money, at least, on your deal, they're not going to invest. So even if you think you're a great deal, and believe me, I thought I was a great deal when I was a Mac software company, and Mac was 5% of the total available market for software, well, the venture capitalists thought, well, how in the hell is she ever going to be a 10x when she's only addressing 5% of the, of the market? So it was one of the things I learned at Apple is it was virtually impossible for us to get Macintosh-only software development companies funded, even if they could be nice, profitable little businesses, because the key was little business. There was virtually no Mac-only software company that could go public at that time. So in terms of its ability to generate venture returns, we just didn't have a venture argument. Hits business. So implication of that is that venture capitalists are portfolio managers. So what does that mean? Well, like I said, the company is your baby. If I'm your venture capitalist, well, not me, because I'm a really nice venture capitalist, but some of those not so nice venture capitalists, your company's one of six to 10 to 12 that they're worrying about. Your company's one of 50 that their fund is worried about. As the deals mature, they're going to spend their time where they think they're going to make money, right? And that's going to be on the deals that they see with a hit trajectory and looking for new deals constantly. Because that's really, transaction is really what, where it matters. I used to think when I first became a venture capitalist that it was like, this is like I think as when I first became a parent, that it was sort of 80% nurture and 20% nature. And I've kind of come the other way around now where I say it's sort of 80% nature and 20% nurture. I really fundamentally believe that a lot of the um, fate of the deal is already set the day you write the first check. And uh, you'd like to think you're adding value, um, but it's sort of like parenting. It's kind of like most of it's set and you can do a little course correcting. But it's really the, the, the day you make the decision has a lot of impact. So your VC is going to move on to other things, and they're just not going to be as in involved as you want them to be. So if your deal isn't one of those hits, you're going to see diminished attention, time, and probably money from that VC. Now, frankly, that might be a good thing. You know, <laughs> sort of like take the money and please don't call me for a long time. But if you're expecting them to be a really active participant in your, in your um, company, that may not happen. Number three, we often turn down good companies. Now this bugged the hell out of me when I was an entrepreneur, right? I thought, why aren't you investing in me? I've told you my pitch, I'm already profitable, what could be wrong with my company? Well, as I told you, uh, one of the reasons might be that just the, the total available market might just not match their metrics for what they need to do in terms of the type of returns they're looking for. It may be a size of fund issue. It's very important to understand the size of fund because any, for a given size, a company, a, a venture fund is going to probably do 20 investments. They need to spread it over a certain number of investments to have those hit economics work, which means they can only put so much in each company. And if they believe your company is going to require too much capital, they might not invest because they might not be able to support your deal. On the other hand, if your company requires too little capital, and this is one, one of the ones that you, know, you sort of scratch your head and say, what? I, if I raised more money, I'd be more successful. But the truth is, if you're raising too little money and the fund thinks, well, I can't manage this many deals of this small an amount of capital. So there is this sort of weird, perverse economics about the right size deal size for the right size fund size. Stage of fund. This is one of the things that happened in, in the dot-com bust where funds were sort of hanging on for a long time. 
they needed to have companies that would have quick exits. So if they were going to make new investments, they needed to see a path to liquidity in a shorter period of time frame. So therefore, if you had a longer path to liquidity, they weren't going to invest in you, even if you had this really great deal. And then the most frustrating reason why they turned down good companies, and, and this is another one I hate and I don't do it, and when I find out other people do it, I call them on it, it really sucks. But they just want to suck your brain dry of what you know and then go invest in your competition. And it does happen. Uh, the, the, the problem with that, of course, is if you go into a venture capitalist and ask them to sign an NDA, they're not going to. Usually they're not. So you do have to be careful when you go in, and I would say the best thing to do is check the reputation of the venture capitalist you're meeting with, because generally speaking, they don't last long if they do that sort of thing, or at least you're going to find out very quickly if they have a history of doing that. But you need to be careful, because sometimes that is the reason. They'll meet with you and meet with you and meet with you, and, uh, and then ultimately turn you down. So the implications for this are really, ultimately, know the hit economics, know whether you fit it or not, and do some homework on the VCs, and know what your exit strategy is going to be. I'll talk more about that in a second. The next one, what, what the hell do, are we doing when we say we're doing due diligence? Well, it's a mystery, especially on you know, startups. I mean, what are you going to put in that Excel spreadsheet? They don't have customers. They don't have employees. They don't have expenses. What the heck are we looking at when we have those business plans? Really what we're looking at is sort of the, the reasoning that went behind the business plan. What were your assumptions? What was the market? What are the sort of the, the edge cases and how have you defined that? How do you think about what it is you're doing? How do you think about the potential pitfalls and how you're going to overcome them? How do you, how do you think about what it's going to cost you to get to, to find that customer, your time frames? This is another reason why venture generally takes time to raise, which again, bugged the hell out of me when I was an entrepreneur. Like, hey, I have a great company, write me a check. And then they would sort of drag it out. Well, they drag it out for a reason. They drag it out so they get to know you, and they drag it out to see how you respond to challenges, and they drag it out to see whether a quarter from now you did what you said you're gonna do. Because Unfortunately, a lot of entrepreneurs are also just bubbling optimists. And the problem with bubbling optimism is you run out of money. <laughs> it's just as simple as that. If you always think everything's going to go great, and then you're always disappointed in your results, that's not a good thing. And that's going to be a real danger sign for, for venture capitalists. I remember I was at this board meeting one time, and I loved the way the entrepreneur expressed the quarter. He said, we are succeeding in every way possible except revenues. And, and it was just one of those lines that I just, you know, it's one of those, I, I, every time we sit in a meeting, I would think, yep, yeah, well, that's kind of a big problem. Um, so, so that is, you know, that is, that, is, that is a real issue here, that there is nothing you can do usually to speed the process. The only thing sometimes that happens to speed a process is when competition develops. And competition for me in venture capital is sort of a, a mixed blessing, because on the one hand, yeah, it's nice to get competition, and, and maybe that means you're going to get better terms. But at the end of the day, my feeling about this is who you do business with is going to end up being a lot more important than just getting the highest valuation. I know people look at valuation, it's like that grade on your final, and you don't look at all that other stuff. You really need to look at the other stuff, because the reality is the implications of some of the liquidity preferences and all of those things, and the nature of the person you're doing business with, whether they can follow on with subsequent rounds, what, 
what has their history been? How have they supported companies that have gone through the inevitable changes? Those are going to be much more important to you. And again, that takes time on both sides. So my ultimate recommendation for this one is the implication of this is know how you came up with the numbers you're presenting. Do your homework on the venture capitalists just like they're doing homework on you. And be yourself, because it's, it's easy to remember. And at the end of the day, this process is going to take time. It's not like a job interview. It's really more like dating. And it's just going to take a while. Number five is something that I learned as a venture capitalist. And I made this mistake a few times. And, and I, I'm, I'm trying to never do it again, which is if you don't trust someone, don't invest. And this one, and I'm, I'm just going to skip over this one and go right to the next one, because that's from the VC side. I have made investments in people that I didn't trust, but boy, were they smart. And some people have made money investing in people they didn't trust, but I think they live shorter, unhappier lives, even though they might be rich. And I sat through a few meetings where I thought, I'm going to write this on my hand in permanent ink so I don't forget. Don't do this to yourself again. Because you lose sleep at night, and particularly in this kind of a, an environment, and particularly if these companies ultimately get acquired or go public or go somewhere where your name is on the dotted line as a director, you do not want to be investing in people who don't say, share your same ethical compass. Along those lines, so this is obviously the corollary to that, is how do I know whether I trust somebody or not? It's entrepreneurs who hide the ball or don't hide the ball. I would really tell you it's not a good idea to hide the ball from your investors and just hope things are going to work out or they're too busy with their other companies to really pay attention to what you're doing. Um, it's the same advice I give my kids. I'm always going to find out. So you can either tell me now up front and we'll work on a solution together, or when I do find out, there'll be hell to pay. And I really believe that this is one of those cases of if you've got bad information, hey, the, the, the VC should be on your team and they should be helping you sort things out. And the more upfront you're going to be and the more direct you're going to be, again, everyone's going to sleep better at night and your chance of getting through it is going to be a lot better than if you're hiding the ball. This works both ways, by the way. If a VC, you know, I, I remember especially in the dot-com bust, I saw a, saw a lot of bad behavior where I thought, this guy needs to go to anger management school. You know, they just come in here and stomp around, making the entrepreneur's day even worse. And the best advice I got from a, from a very good venture capitalist once is he said to me, I, every board meeting I go to, or every day I get up and I say, do I back this entrepreneur or not? And if I, do I believe in this entrepreneur? If I believe in them, I tell myself to do everything I can to make that person successful. If I don't believe in them, I tell them that, and I figure out how to replace them. <laughs> I have seen people who, who, do both, who, who, who don't believe in the entrepreneur anymore and walk into a board meeting and make their lives a living hell and ask them for useless data and bitch, a, bitch to them about the results, but they're not doing anything productive or helpful. It's like, hey, you're just one more bad thing for this person to deal with today. Don't you think he's got enough on his plate already? So I'm really not a believer in that kind of behavior. But again, if you don't hide the ball, you can work on, on that. And this goes back to the point, if you're going to take money from anyone, whether it's a venture capitalist, whether it's a corporate development partner, whether it's private equity fund, whatever, you better do some homework on the nature of the other person. Because that's, you know, that's again, one of, the, one of the dirty secrets of venture capital is a lot of times it's about the firm, right? Oh, who invested in you? Oh, Sequoia invested in us. Oh, Redpoint. Oh, Kleiner. Well, those are great names. 
but within those firms, it's the dynamic of the individual and whether that individual is there or not five years down the line and how they behave and how they treat you and how they deal with you and what sector experience they have and what background they have. It's the individual that's going to show up at that board meeting every, every month or every, you know, however often you have them. That's the person you're going to have to be living with. And generally speaking, that person drives a lot of, of how their firm perceives you as well. They are the pinch point in between you and that firm. Number seven. I know you guys are going to hate this one. Startup entrepreneurs are not always great CEOs. Uh, sorry, it's true. If I think about the attributes of a great startup entrepreneur, here's some of the ones I listed. Passionate, big dreams, optimist, tenacity unwilling to take no for an answer, sometimes a lone worker, often deeply technical, an expert in the field, right? I, I love people like that. I've worked with people like that all my life. Now let's talk about what it takes to be a great CEO. Leadership, strong communications, good managerial skills, good at hiring, very often strong sales skills, very often, and particularly because most companies, your CEO is your chief salesperson, both in your startup phase as well as in your liquidity phase. Ability to raise and manage funds, financial acumen. Uh, do those sound like the same skill sets? I mean, they're not. And, and, and this is one of those things I think, I too believe in founders. I think founders are fabulous. And I think there's no one who ever has passion for their company and their baby like the founder. But I don't think the founder necessarily should also be the CEO. And I think you ought to think long and hard about that. It, it, part of this is what's best for the company, but I would also argue that part of this is what's best for you. Because you'll tend to be successful at things that you are good at. Pick the things you're good at and contribute that to the company and figure out a way to get other people do, to do the things that you're not good at. Number eight, virtually all startups change course. Uh, I don't, I can't think of a company that made its money on its original business plan. So expect that that's going to be the case. And <laughs> this is one of those, I thought it was just that, 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 you know, my company did that. And then I was talking to, I think it was Brooke Byers at Kleiner Perkins who said to me, you know, if you looked at our portfolio and you went and looked at the original business plans and you looked at what hit or not and when, there's no correlation. There's just none. So. That's one of the things about being an entrepreneur and it's one of the things about being a venture capitalist. You have to be willing to roll with the flow. And rolling with the flow might mean that uh, you have to kill a product. You have to change some of the people. You have to uh, fire a customer. Sometimes it's very interesting that you end up in bed with one customer and they're pulling you in a direction and you start to realize that, that there's a much bigger opportunity but that customer is going to be unhappy when you take this other opportunity. The customer isn't always right in this case. Sometimes there are bigger avenues elsewhere and, and you have to be willing to make some difficult decisions. Unfortunately, what this also means is you may need more money because as you go through the wiggly process of figuring out where your right course is, sometimes you inevitably, well, actually, almost all the time, you spend more money than you thought you were going to. So this is, the, this is the problem, is from a venture capitalist perspective, we have to be prepared to invest more money or not. Uh, let me cover both of those. So invest more money. Anytime a venture capitalist writes a check, they better have at least two to three times that amount of money on reserve for your company. Because 
history will show you that you need to have that money. You either need to have that money because you go through a downtime and you want to support the company. And I'll tell you, the fund I was with made a lot of money doubling down on entrepreneurs when the other VCs bailed. There were, there were some companies that we ended up going from a 20% position to an 80% position. And we sold some of those companies for a couple hundred million bucks when, the, when we came out of nuclear winter. And those were very good decisions to make. Sometimes we were the crusher of the other venture capitalists. Sometimes we were the crushy. There were times when we said, I don't think I believe in this company anymore. I don't, I, I don't want to keep putting my money after this one. I'm going to go put it elsewhere in my portfolio. And we got washed out. Because if you're not, you know, this is another one of those things. All that first round money in a downtime doesn't matter. It's whoever put the last money in. And so, unfortunately, that's the case. And again, I've been the crushy, both as a venture capitalist and an angel investor, and it really hurts. But if you're not willing to write those checks anymore, that's going to happen to you. So you have to be prepared for that to happen. And that is something that venture capitalists, I think, think a lot about, um, about this. Now, I do think that this is one of, the, one of the reasons that it's good to have a venture capitalist on your team, or if not a VC, to have other people who are not involved in your company in the day-to-day -day business. Because it's a little bit easier for someone who's not living and breathing it every day to see sometimes where the course correction needs to be, to see what the company is doing right or wrong, to be, to be accountable to. One of the things when I first took venture that was both daunting but also invigorating is Ann Winblad used to, and this is sort of pre-email, so she would just fax me stuff all the time that, was, that were things I should think about, new customers, things that my competition was doing. And after about three days, I called her and I said, am I supposed to answer all these faxes? Because I won't do my job if I have to pay attention to everything you're, you're sending me. And she said, no, 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 I'm just, I'm just an outside pair of eyes and ears who cares about your company and is going to look at it from an outside perspective. And, and I will just say that that was super helpful and she called some things in the company that were very painful to me, particularly about when we should and shouldn't continue certain product lines because boy there's a lot of momentum to a product line when you got developers and customers and everybody's sort of happy even if the market is shrinking. You still want to keep that going and sometimes it takes an outside person to call it and say, it's time for a change. So this is where I think venture capitalists can be, can be very helpful. The last one I'll talk about is venture capitalists just, they want to find the exits. That's what they do. If you're taking money from an investor, that investor wants to get the money back. They want to get 10 times the money back and they want to get it back as soon as possible. They don't want to be in your business because it's cool. They don't actually want to hang out with you. They don't really want to talk about your company at cocktail parties. This is the business they're in. And a lot of entrepreneurs never think through the fact that if you're running your business because this is what you want to do for the rest of your life, maybe you shouldn't take venture capital. I had this interesting meeting during the dot-com boom. It was really interesting who, who would come and, and look for venture during the dot-com boom. So I took a meeting with Courtney Love because she wanted to get funding for her website. And um, three of my male partners decided to come along for that meeting. It's really interesting, although they didn't talk. It was very funny, actually. So Courtney Love is talking about how she has this website for disenfranchised teens, and she's, people really follow her and follow her trends, and she just kept talking about it, and she only needed three or $400,000 to really take this site to the next level. And, and a number of times she said, 
and I need to control it. I need to control what gets said. I need these girls trust me, and it's about me, and it's about my voice, and who I am. And about 15 minutes into the meeting, I said, Courtney, do you know what a venture capitalist does? And she says, well, yeah, if I tell you my company, about my company, you like the idea, you're going to give me money to run it. And I said, no, 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 that's not what we do. We give you money. We join your team. We usually get this stuff called preferred equity, which means that we come in line ahead of you. We join your board. We put other people on the board. And then if we don't like what you're doing, we replace you. And then eventually, we sell your business. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. She looked at me, and she said, well, then what the fuck am I here talking to you for? And it was really one of those moments where I said, I said, well, I don't really know. I just thought it'd be an interesting meeting. And we, and we had this really fun meeting. It was, it was actually, it was great. But, but this is, you know, the funny way of stating the point, which is you got to understand what venture capitalists do for a living. And that's what they do for a living. And I fundamentally believe there are a lot better ways to fund most businesses than venture capital. Um, I think venture capital has a role. I think that there are certain businesses where it can, it can be very helpful. I think that certainly there are people who are building towards exits. I think exits, you know, are, are you know, I was an entrepreneur. I ran my company for 14 years. And believe me, by year 14, I was ready for an exit. It was nice to think about going on and doing something else. So it's okay to ultimately have an exit. But I think you need to think really hard about the kind of business that you're running. I had an entrepreneur talking to me about his venture capitalist and how, how mad at his venture capitalist he was. And he said something like, don't they understand I'm running a lifestyle business here? And I thought, oh God, don't ever say that to them. I mean, do you really want somebody you've given money to to say, well, I'm running a lifestyle business. It's, this is about my, my joy running this business. This is not about giving your money back. So anyway, with that, um, I hope that was useful in some way, uh, or, you've, or you've decided specifically not to go that route. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.